Dragon Like Sun. My name is Jack Oway. And I am Jay, and welcome to what I'm sure is by now your favorite father and son podcast. Dragon and Son podcast. That's right. right? The only the only podcast out there brought to you by two generations. Mm, of exactly. Dragons. Exactly. And there's quite a bit to discuss today. I think we're gonna keep it a little bit more low-key today. Um, rather than we're always delving in, but well, we are kind of always low key, but not a, a big hour long stretch maybe this week. Maybe. But we'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. Promise you. Promise um, you nothing. Um, but to begin with, what mm. what would a podcast be if it wasn't full of rumor and speculation <laughs> exactly. and information that was probably just made up? But uh, yeah, we were cruising around the interwebs like we do, looking mm. at stuff, and uh, and I think is it tomorrow. As, as of recording, maybe tomorrow or in a couple of days, the new uh, D&D Live yeah, event is so, coming on. Yeah, D&D Live, all the Red Nose Day stuff is coming up. There's lots of things going on uh, around that, which we'll be watching lots of D&D about the time, hopefully, you folks are listening to this podcast. Uh, and in the schedule, there is D&D products listed, as in like, oh, they're going to be announcing some new D&D products that sure. will be released And there's this been year. some speculation as to what There's been some speculation. Might be. Um, now, I'm not going to ruin the surprise of oh, what think, is going to be think, released. Well, because we don't know. Because we don't know fully. I'm not even going to give a title because I think that's We don't actually work our listeners at here. D&D. We do not work. It may be coast. completely wrong, but there's a, potentially a new adventure book, sure. as has been the pattern with many years in the past, and a new source book right. coming out in... Maybe November-ish, which is typically what they like to do, right? Um, and I'm betting it's a follow-up to Xanathar's Guide to Everything. I'm not sure if it's going to be literally Xanathar's 2 or if it's just going to be another one of those books filled with a bunch of new subclasses and, and gameplay options and downtime activities, reviews, or all of those Without being of tied to any one specific mm. uh, uh, campaign like Exactly, like we've seen with Eberron and whatnot. Yeah, uh, and... So it, it meant, you know, that we went and pulled out, well, I did, the uh, the physical paper copy, which I hold copy. in my hands right now, of Xanathar's Guide to Everything. And, well, in past episodes, we have said, you know, hey, if you're a new user out there, one of your fastest, cheapest, easiest, and most efficient uses of money might be just to go drop this stuff on D&D Beyond. Honestly, now that I've revisited that, I think I've changed my opinion. Just buy that player's handbook and Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Yeah, just sitting here. We were just sitting here thumbing There's through these. There's so much in it. And, you know, okay, so searching, straight up searching, obviously doing it digitally is faster. Mm. But in word of discovery, if you're just wandering, flipping through pages... There's so many things you hit in the book and it's just like, you're like, oh yeah, that's cool. And the oh, artwork this is how I draw and dungeons. the tables. Oh, this is how and, I introduce traps to my game. And, and so again, we thought, we thought, especially if you're, you know, whether you're new or a pro, there's a few things in here that we thought, just let's, good to re remember. let's yeah. revisit because they're good for us and they're good for everybody. So, um, these are the 10 rules to remember, right. maybe even the 10 commandments page, in Xanathar's page Guide. Page 5 of uh, Xanathar's Guide. Yeah, very, Guide. very introduction. If you got it online, you might miss this. You have to click View Introduction and then scroll down a little bit to right. see this. 
and it's 10 rules to remember. And and it, they almost become, you know, a little bit of a 10 commandments. And honestly, I, I see these a lot, like come up at the table. Like what, like, do I round it up or do I like, and okay, let's go through them. Things. Let's, let's go, go through them though. First one. And this, this is the one that governs all 10 of them. Exceptions supersede general rules. So there's lots of general rules in the book, but you can always make exceptions to them. And there are exceptions that are already pre written into the rules. I suppose this is something that applies to all of these following rules as well. And a little section above that says the DM educates the rules. If they want to change something or want to play it differently, then they can absolutely do so. You know, any of these can be overridden by the DM as was with pretty sure. much everything in the game. But so these I mean, are just core most of the time you attack when you make attacks, you're either doing it a melee attack with strength or a range attack with dex. But or for example, if with your spellcasting if the rules require. say you make a melee weapon attack using charisma, you can do so, right? Even though that disagrees with the general rules. And that's just the idea. The exceptions overrule general rules. Um, and that's great. That's also almost like the rule of zero in a way. At the table, you know, the DM can make whatever exceptions he or she feels it's necessary to keep they. the story moving. He, she, they, whatever pronoun you prefer. Uh, you know, keeps the game moving, keeps the players engaged in the story, uh, keeps things from sort of breaking down. Mm. Um, yeah, don't need to look things up. Always can make an exception. Uh, uh, I suppose then the second rule is something more sort of a little bit more niche, but I do see this come up a lot. Yeah, and I think it's a every very big every DM needs thing to, to know. know. This. Um, round down. Yeah. Whenever you divide or multiply a number in the game, round down if you end up with a fraction, even if the fraction is one half or greater. It's always round down unless otherwise stated that goes back to rule one if it states round up then yeah. you round out up down, but otherwise it's down, always down 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 down, down. Which, is, down which is great if you're a barbarian and, and you're doing resistance you, you've got some resistance to bludgeoning slashing and piercing you know that you know nine is you know rounded down to four and a half or cut in half to four and a half with your resistance and then always round it down to so four so yeah you you definitely uh, win on that of course you know any monsters with, with resistance uh, you know they share in that fun as well mm. um advantage and disadvantage this is this one uh, this one has come up in my games as well it's confusing it doesn't always make sense and there's an exception to this as well which i, I do want to talk about but you can all right so basically if you've got a mix if some things give advantage and some things give disadvantage then they cancel each other out and it's just straight up rolling even if you may have two factors giving you advantage it is only treated as one factor of advantage you yeah, cannot you have double or triple advantage unless, unless you, you have the feat named elven accuracy which you need to be an elf to have or half which, elf. Or half elf, which allows you to, when making an attack roll or yeah. something using your intelligence, wisdom, charisma, or dexterity. Typically, um, typically nicknamed triple advantage. but Typically nicknamed triple advantage, but it's when you roll advantage, you can re-roll one of the dice, which is technically triple advantage. Yeah, well, you get three dice. You get, you it's essentially three, three dice attack on the table. Um, and but in all other cases, you can only have one yes. advantage or one disadvantage. And if you have any of the both of them, they all cancel out. And so the, the funny example of this one is somebody in the party casts darkness. Mm. I'm nine times out of ten. That's your warlock. And Or your sorcerer. Yeah, it could be. Um, and yeah, all buoy fine for them if they've got devil sight. And then they get advantage on their attacks because... Nobody else inside the darkness can see, but they can see. Um, so the way that that 
everybody else though in the party, um, they're in the darkness. They have disadvantage to hit each other, but because the person's in the darkness, the well, no, you're thinking about range attacks. Melee attacks always have disadvantage within there because you don't get like they don't have advantage. There's no advantage for the person being attacked because that's not how like melee attack works. But say there's a ranged attack going well, in. Well, okay, so as an unseen attacker, you get advantage, right? But then you also have disadvantage. But yeah, because, because you, you can't, can't see your target. You have so disadvantage. Then that just cancels out. So fighting in the dark is the same as not fighting in the dark. Exactly. Unless you have maybe a blind sight of some kind or a tremor sense. Or devil sight. Or devil sight. So anyways, yes, out there, if fighting in the dark, advantages and disadvantages count, cancel each other out. You just roll straight, which also means people can't typically get advantages very easily. Like mm. I said, unless those, you've got a particular sight of some sort. Um, so that, those are the first three of the ten rules. Rule number four. Um, combining different effects. So different game effects can affect the target at the same time. For example, two different benefits can give you a bonus to RC, uh, to, sorry, to your armor class, your AC. But when two or more effects have the same proper name, only one of them, the most powerful one, if they, uh, if the benefits aren't identical, uh, apply. For example, this is what uh, Xanathar's guy said, uh, says, if Bless is cast on you while you're still under the effect of an earlier Bless, you gain the benefit of only one casting, which would be the higher level one, right? Yeah. So you can't like stack up bless, 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 nope. and get like extra sixty-four. That's not how sure. it works. And we've we've often talked. Wouldn't it be cool if you could enlarge and then cast enlarge again and then cast enlarge again? Mm. Unfortunately, you also can't do that. that wouldn't work. Although I would still like to think that the now archived Rune Knight. Are they archived yet? No, it's still UA. Is it? I don't know. I feel like Rune Knight is maybe archived. Or it's heading sure. that direction. If it's not, folks, go grab it. Um, or make it in homebrew. Yeah. Uh, Rune Knight had a very different specification because it wasn't an enlarged spell per se. It said you became large. Where enlarge is like a, you grow one size bigger. Mm. Um, so I still think with Rune Knight, you can use the rune to become large and then use your, especially your if you're an innate Durgar, sort of type character to go one size bigger and have a huge character on mm -hmm. the table because who doesn't want a huge dwarf exactly i mean really come on mm. dwarfs are meant to be huge <laughs> um but yeah you gotta be careful you can't typically stack the same thing again and again exactly D &D is pretty much that way about a lot of things like if you think oh this would be great we'll just stack a million of these up and we'll be great mm. yeah Nope. That's pretty much always a big nope. Uh, similarly, if you're in the radius of more than one aura of protection, for example, say your paladin has this aura of protection feature, you can only benefit from one aura at a time. Uh, well, not one aura, but one aura of protection. If it has the same exact name, um, that's just how the rules work. Hmm. Um, reaction timing is rule number five. And this hmm. one's a great one for DMs to know. Um, the, the question often comes up, when does the reaction take place? And to know that reactions are always in response to some event. So like casting shield. Or making an opportunity attack. Right. Both of which are types of reactions. And so you need to look at, at how, how it sits in relation to its trigger. Right. So shield is, is something that you trigger, um, based on the, an incoming attack, right? Mm. Um, 
And especially with spells, if you look at it on D&D Beyond, you'll typically see when it says one reaction as a casting sure. time, it'll have a little asterisk and they, in the And corner. Shield might actually be a good example of a bit of an exception to this, because typically what happens is the trigger completes first, whatever your triggering thing was, it happens, and, and then, then your reaction. Now, so obviously if you're getting hit by something, any reaction is to cast shield. The wording in there very specifically makes it clear that when that, you are being attacked, exactly. yeah. So it's triggered by the, you know, the DM rolling a hit of some sort, and then you can cast shield to give yourself a bit more AC so that the healed the hit doesn't uh, connect with you. Basically, if you're unsure when a reaction occurs in relation to its trigger, here's the rule: the reaction happens after its trigger completes, unless the description of the reaction explicitly says otherwise. And you can, like, similarly to your action or bonus action, you can only have one per turn, again, unless you have some sort of thing like the um, Cavalier does, where they can take a special reaction each turn. Sure. Or something like that. But you only get one reaction, one bonus action, one action. Um, hey, here's the thing. Do you know if you're casting a spell and you decide to hold that spell so that it's uh, you're going to ready it so that you can use it to cast it on a reaction on somebody else's turn in relation to a trigger that's going to go off. If it's a concentration spell, you're concentrating on it that whole time. And if you get hit, you lose concentration. End, you'll lose concentration. Any spell, not in fact. To, it'll fizzle. Any spell, I believe. Even if you're holding a spell that isn't concentration, hmm. you're technically concentrating on it until the spell is released. Yeah. Interesting rule. On to number six, resistance and vulnerability. Now, this is a great one for those of you out there who um, are a little sh unsure of the order of operations mathematically here mm. just like in math where you there's certain things you calculate before you calculate other things so you roll your damage right that's the first thing straight up roll the damage see what it's supposed to be then number one is there any damage immunities because mm. right away that can nix the whole thing right? exactly typically not a lot of immunities i mean not all the time well, anyways you'll see some mm, yeah yeah um you can even see some at a fairly low level in particular cases. Uh, there's uh, then number two, you do any addition or subtraction to the damage. So Think this about is, your damage modifiers, sure, like bonuses. your dexterity modifier or whatever yeah. that would be going on to it, or maybe a spell effect that gives you well, extra damage. What about heavy armor master? Exactly. Heavy armor master which, might be a subtraction. Which is a minus three uh, damage. Bludgeoning, slashing, and piercing, yeah. non-magical. So that happens first, and that's important, mm -hmm. especially say that that one where you've got heavy armor master. Because if you put it later, as we mentioned, like if you're a say you're a barbarian and you take resistance to something that gets rounded down to four, and then you subtract three from it, that may be more beneficial. It's very beneficial for you, but that's not how D and D works. It's not typically speaking, damage is not going to go the way you want it to. It's it's harder on you than you think. So. First, you subtract anything, or add or subtract anything to it. That's number three, actually. No, number that's two. number two. Number sorry. two. The, the number so, three is resistance. Resistance right. happens after you add the modifier. So that's when the barbarian's resistance kicks in and cuts it in half. Mm -hmm. uh, and then finally, uh, if there's any relevant damage vulnerabilities that double the damage. Typically, you would never have a resistance and a vulnerability. Like these are either ors. Typically, like you're not going to have immunity and vulnerability to deal with in this. But vulnerability comes last. So once you've gone through all the calculations, then you double it. I think something that doesn't come in here that I think is also important to state uh, is critical hits as well. Because I know that's also a big question: Do I add my modifier to it, or do I not add my modifier to it? You do not. You do not. You double the dice, or 
double your roll from the dice and then add your modifier. Sure. Uh, I mean, there's a few. I mean, there's a. You can set the table rule for how you want to deal with with. But rules is written. It comes, but that's but that comes before this order of operations. Mm -hmm. When you roll for the damage, you roll the weapon's d damage, like if it's a d8 and you roll a d8. If it's two d8, you roll two d8, a d12, whatever it might be. And when you critical hit, you instead you roll can, double that. You can roll that again. Roll an additional two d8, or just double the roll that you got. Yeah. Um, or For example, I, okay. I've even seen some an podcasts. I've seen some actual plays out there where on crits now, they'll give you like a full dice. So if it's like a D8, That's you'll get eight and then you roll your D8. So you get like maximum crit on one of the dice. Well, that's nice. But that is that's nice. not Rose's rule. I'm not saying you have to do it that way, but I'm saying you can vary. But you would do that first. Then but you calculate what it. you just said is not a, a real thing. All right, well, roll books, two d roll two d eight instead of one d eight if mm. you roll a critical. But I just but, want to keep things clear because this is a rules exactly. You do that first episode. Then you add bonuses. Then you calculate resistances, and then you're done. Mm -hmm. So essentially, um, it's roll your damage dice, immunity, additions or subtractions, resistances and vulnerabilities, and that's all the calculation. Uh, I think then another thing listed down here if multiple sources give you resistance to a type of damage you're taking you can apply resistance to it only once yeah you don't like half and then half again exactly and the same is true with vulnerability so you can't have four times resistance or four times vulnerability which is i i also see as a question coming up at the table it yeah. only applies once much like advantage um proficiency bonus which mm. is really important because i think it's becoming a more uh integrated part of way some of the UA subclasses are scaling powers. Mm. Uh, I think there may be a shift coming in how much we see proficiency being used. I feel like this one is often unspoken as well. Mm. Um, if your proficiency bonus applies to a role, you can add the bonus only once to the role, even if multiple things in the game say to apply your bonus. Moreover, if more than one thing tells you to double or half your bonus, you double it only once or half it only once before applying it. Whether multiplied, divided, or left at its normal value, the bonus can be used only once per roll. So essentially, you can't like have like double up your proficiency bonus right. on something, and if so they have multiple things saying it. It applies only this once. One, yeah, this pops up once in a while when you see a not a rookie player, but somebody's played it for a while, but maybe they're playing their first bard, and they're like, "Okay, so I'm going to make a performance check." And I'm going to add my proficiency bonus because I'm proficient with the flute that I'm performing with. And you're like, well, no, because your, your performance check already has already, proficiency. Yeah. So assuming you have proficiency in, you have proficiency in that, it's already cooked into it once. Mm. You can't double it up in there unless you've got expertise somehow. Similarly um, with thieves tools, perhaps, if yeah. you're making a sleight of hand check with your thieves tools. Yeah. So you typically don't. It's not a sleight of hand check. It's just a thieves We'll say you check. were to make one. Right. Sure. Or any sort of thing like that, an investigation using a specific tool sure. or maybe even an animal handling. And you say, oh, well, a vehicle's land instead or, or whatever it might be that a DM describes. Even yeah. if you had a proficiency in both, both, you can only add your proficiency bonus once. That's correct. And that and that just kind of goes back to the, you know, combining different effects thing as well or any of these rules. Like they basically are just reiterating kind of in different ways. You can't just keep stacking things. D&D mm. &D does not let you just keep stacking things. It's different, though, when you're making multiple attacks. Well, I suppose you don't really add your proficiency bonus to damage rolls. But if you were to, then those are separate attack rolls. And so you'd apply them to different cases, right? Sure. But 
Yeah. Then moving on to the next one, you can take this one. Oh, uh, bonus bonus action spells. So if you want to cast a spell that has a casting time of one bonus action, remember that you can't cast any other spell before or after it on the same turn except for cantrips with the casting time of one action. So essentially when you drop your big misty step, you can't then release a fireball. This is also with the sorcerer metamagic. Uh, the Quicken spell, for example, which lets you cast a spell that typically has a casting time of one action as a bonus action. Say you release your big fireball as a bonus action, you can't then release another fireball as your action. Good to keep in mind. Now, another thing to keep in mind is if you Quicken spell a cantrip, you still can only cast a cantrip once doing so. But here's something you could do. Mm, this is a better way to use your action economy. And this sort of relates to what we said earlier about reactions. Uh, well, I was going to get to that. Go on. Um, if you were to cast a spell using the Quicken spell meta magic, for example, and release maybe your Scorching Ray as a bonus action, you can then ready your action Yes. to then cast Scorching Ray again as a reaction yes. on another creature's turn. So that's the, that's the best way to get around it, really, is you can bonus action cast a full spell and then hold like your action. A, a spell that has a slot and then yeah ready to uh, your another one and as long as that spell goes off on somebody else's turn it's legit so as a reaction and that trigger could really literally be like the beginning of the next uh creature's turn in the initiative order like you really you can when pick your moves when exactly it you can make anything. you can pick you can a trigger, choose a trigger. you exactly. can pick a trigger like that happens that technically is happening on their turn and that is a super smart way to be playing your sorcerer in the game or your wizard even i mean frankly, well if you can cast a spell as a bonus action yeah there's, there's not yeah, many of them not but. a lot of them but yeah if the quick and one with their sorcerer is, is a great way to sort of be able to double utilize barrel. your action economy yeah mm. for sure um especially if you can drop if you could drop two fireballs on somebody in one turn Exactly. Continue it. Well, not in one turn, in one round, I in suppose. In one round. Yeah. Yes, in one round. Um, this, I suppose this is also a good thing to remember because I used to think that if you cast like a fireball or something, you couldn't do a shield. But that's not true. It's only on your turn that you yeah. can cast one spell like that. And then on other creatures' turns, you could then, as a reaction, do another one, whether it be readied or whatever, right? Yep. Uh, on the same train as spells, um, we have the concentration rule here. As soon as you start casting a spell or using a special ability that requires concentration, your concentration on another effect ends instantly. Yeah. So if you were, say, this goes back to our reaction or readying thing as well. If you were to, um, say, be concentrating as a cleric on your aura of vitality and then ready a, like, a uh, like a cure wounds on someone when they come around the corner, your aura of vitality immediately ends because yeah. you're now concentrating on releasing that cure wounds. And concentration is a very good thing to remember. I think also maybe understanding how it's broken or maintained is really important and what roles you need to make. As a DM, this is this is really one of those ones that you've got to practice being super vigilant exactly. about. And if you, it's players, super easy to forget players, about. Players, they don't mean to break it. They just forget. I've you, forgotten many times. Me too. You get excited at the table. You've been thinking about things as goes around the table and you're thinking oh oh i know what to do i'll cast this and you've really have forgotten that the last turn you had concentration mm. i do like we've got um concentration markers now yeah we've well. got little rings little around rings minis which is right. kind of great for the dm to get things like that 
um, that you put on wizards. So it says they've got concentration on the or table. On spellcasters. On yeah, spellcasters. And then you're like, okay, like you can physically see that. And but it, it also still requires a little bit of like you, as a DM, you need to remember You have to have a very good memory for which spells are concentration spells or very quickly be able to look at the player and go, is that a concentration spell? Mm. Um, and let them have a look at their sheet. Exactly. And even a player may remember that they can't cast another concentration. They may forget to make that saving throw uh, against oh, maintaining And that's it. the other thing. Whenever you get hit, you've got to um, that. So essentially, the rule as I know it is that in order to maintain concentration, once you take damage, it's when you are sort of, well, in the case when you're taking damage, it is 10 or half the damage taken, yeah. whichever is higher. And so say you take maybe... Uh, uh, there's a, a fiery attack from a, a red dragon and you take, I don't know, 36 points of damage, right? That is then halved to 18, so you need to make a DC 18 constitution saving throw. Which for a lot of spellcasters isn't there... It's not bad. Typically maybe, you want a good maybe constitution, a, constitution sure, especially maybe if, if you're a wizard or sorcerer. Yeah, maybe. But typically they... Or if they, you're wild-shaped as something they with might a have a plus. They might have a druid. plus two in it. Uh, well, I try to keep. Uh, this is something that I try to remember: is that I want to keep a pretty high con which constitution. Which is which is why Warcaster is the favoritest mm. feat uh, in D and D Beyond. More people take Warcaster feat than any other feat out there. The Warcaster and, feat is very good. It lets you opportunity attack with spells, which again you could now then uh, rather than just having to ready something when something moves, like immediately when it goes out of your range, you can just do it rather than having to ready it, which is very nice. You can hold a sword and a shield or have both your hands occupied and still do the somatic components, which is also very nice. So if you're holding something with both hands, typically you need a hand free to cast most spells. But no, that's not a worry for you. And finally, um, back to this concentration rule, you have advantage on saves against concentration, which is a very nice thing to have. Um, always rolling two dice with it is very is a very good thing to have if you want to be a concentration caster. Um, there are some other things like in in druid and whatnot, which give you also bonuses or things to concentration with certain types of spells, like summoning things and whatnot. But yeah, you always have to be vigilant about keeping track of your concentration, and it's a big factor in spells. You know, you, when something has concentration, that's a heavy thing. That's the thing you're focusing on. You know, every turn if you're getting hit, you're gonna need, like make sure that's staying up, and you can't have any other concentration stuff up as well. So it's a big factor to keep in mind uh, and then finally temporary hit points temporary hit points i see this one also confused quite a bit yeah temporary hit points are they are a little bit tricky there's a few situations where it's hard to figure out wh where they go uh druids in particular um so temporary hit points they come in a, a, a few different ways you know usually by magic although i've, I've had this one campaign we've been playing where an the, inspiring leader feat yeah, to make you do yeah the knight is she's got a an inspiring leadership feat she uh does a little pep talk every day after we've had a rest and we all get somewhere in the neighborhood is like seven or eight temporary it hit could points. be an entire hit yeah it's great it is wonderful to have that extra little shiny coating uh around you that gets that can get restored again and again um yeah she can't keep redoing it and give you more like it won't go above that maximum number nothing else can make it go above that if somebody else if you've got eight temporary hit points again if somebody casts something that gives you 10 you can take the 10 exactly and i suppose then that goes into the direct writing here temporary hit points aren't cumulative 
If you have temporary hit points and receive more of them, you don't add them together unless the game feature says you can. Instead, you decide which temporary hit points to keep. Yeah. Um, I think one of the trickier situations on this one, though. So if you get temporary hit points as a druid... Well, right. your wild shape doesn't give you temporary hit points. It gives you an entire new hit point pool. Right. So you... That's what I'm saying. So you're a... Say you're a druid that's got... Say you've got 20 hit points plus four temporary hit points. And then you wild shape into a dire wolf and you've got... Extra 14 something? Whatever they've know. got. 36 something hit points. No, that's way or, crazy. I don't know if they have 36. Yeah, yeah something in that neighborhood, I think. Um the yeah look that one up um anyways the idea being is that the temporary hit points don't follow you into the wild form Mm. they stay with your druid they stay sort of as icing baked on that cake and the wild form is a entirely whole another which a lot of players really still see their wild form as another set of temporary hit points because once that set of hit points are reduced on that creature and you go back to your normal right and if it exceeds that it rolls into your druid stuff into your druid stuff which of course the first thing it would roll into would be your temporary Temporary hit points but they override the temporary hit points and don't gain them the so the temporary hit points become like a bit sandwiched in between these layers Mm -hmm. of things that's right uh, I think uh, another case is the Abjuration Wizards Arcane Ward. Yeah, there's another place. Those are not temporary hit points. They are an entire hit point pool that it's like a, a shield almost that soaks up damage outside mm-hmm. of your temporary hit points, which can stack with temporary hit points if you think uh, like if yeah. you think about it in that way. Yeah. Um, and I think another example is walls, when you cast them, uh, have their own hit point pool. Um, as well not that those would be confused with temporary hit points but it's just a good thing to remember that they typically yeah. have their own and, and again points. this sort of back to that understanding trying to understand as both a dm maybe as a player the order of operations the order from which you know hit points are reduced which pools go first um which ones can be replenished and healed and which ones when they're gone are gone mm. um temporary hit points don't get healed they're temporary they they're there they're gone um nice to know you but (laughs) uh you can't roll a hit dice and get back above your hit point maximum exactly and those are the 10 commandments that's it i mean that's i mean that was just like opening up xanathar's guide flipping to it and there's a god go grab the book if you don't have it or you look it up online the the picture the artwork's there as well xanathar sitting there with his little goldfish bowl looking at a book and i was just like curious about this as well like has anybody else noticed that Xanathar's got 10 eye stocks. I think most beholders have nine, don't they? Again, maybe something to look up out there. Mm. Pretty sure they do. Uh, only have nine. I do not know about that. Yep. Anyways. Um, maybe he's special that way. Well, there's no hard, fast rule on on these things. You can always make exceptions. <laughs> that's right. I suppose that's most of what we wanted to talk about this episode unless you have anything else you want to bring up while we're on the topic of xanathar's guide maybe um i like i like when we flip through these things the stuff that we find i like um i liked finding traps today and looking through that i liked um i like how i forget like dnd's big mm. And I, I know if everybody out there is playing it, you know, understands this as well, that, that 
you can't keep everything that's ever been written, uh, whether it's canon or, you know, extra supplements or whatever. You can't keep it all in your head. It's really, it's really great to go back, revisit stuff uh, on paper sometimes. And also the amount it. of variant rules in there that are so fun, like honor scores, sanity sure. scores and just all that. Stuff you know? that Spell points. That just fuels imagination. Um, really gives you a whole bunch of new ideas for what you might want to drop into a campaign, mm. ways that you could spice up uh, an encounter a little bit. Um, if you're thinking you're you not wanna... quite sure what you want to have in your encounter, maybe, maybe just rolling on one of the D100 charts well, for your location. I was just level. looking at like bear trap. I mean, <laughs> seriously, you know, suddenly what looks like a fairly simple encounter can go really bad if your, you know, fighter steps in a bear trap <laughs> just yeah. before, you know, what was going to be an easy sort of takedown of a bunch of goblins is now become something that I don't know. You could do fun stuff with. You could, you could stretch that into, Maybe a lingering wound. You could stretch. You can have this. Just exactly fun things we can do with this that uh, makes I think, combat interesting. You know, yeah. and, and adds like something like a layer of complexity rather than turn in, turn out. Just I hit him, I miss. I hit him, yeah. I hit. Like that repetitivity and, and like things like terrain changing and certain factors coming in and waves perhaps or mm. uh, certain different abilities that happened or things happening on initiative players like oh, um, it like the hail in this sort of certain area, like uh, on initiative 10, they have to make a deck save or like take three cold or like yeah, one cold damage exactly. or something. Exactly. And there's rules for, for weather and stuff. You can find things so you don't, you know, you're not making, you have to make it all up yourself. I think, you know, back in the first edition advanced C&D days where I sort of felt like a lot of what we did at the table was the DM trying to outsmart the players, the players trying to figure out you know, some sort of elaborate puzzle that the DM had created. And, you know, we were less narrative based, less role play, less, there wasn't as many skills and things you could check, you know, do. Um, I kind of forget about those days a little bit because I, I'm such a big fan of, you know, the way the three pillars uh, work now. But, um, but I think when I look through a book like this, I, I sort of start to come up with, again, this, there's a magic to, as a DM, always be trying to to put something really unexpected into your next adventure. So find a way to put something that, yeah, you hadn't even thought of for ages. Um, it's a good chance the players have never, maybe never even seen it. So yeah, spend some time, pick up a book, flip through it, see if you can come up with something crazy. Here's an idea on the spot, and I don't know how I like viable this is, but as a listener, if you want to drop a comment on one of our blog posts or one of our posts of these episodes and perhaps propose a question about D&D, a technicality you're not so sure of, or a, a thoughts on a certain class or thing coming up or whatever, and for us to look at that, I think I would be happy to yeah. respond Actually, to those questions. You know, even better, um, send us an email. Uh, like dragon like sun at gmail.com uh, and yeah we will we will answer any email that you send to us ask us anything ask us anything uh, but yeah I feel like comment sections are often overlooked and sort of lost but if you're really serious about it we'll be really serious about getting back to you we'll be we'll be happy to try and provide an answer to you maybe in the upcoming podcast and whatnot and 
and try and get back to you with some certain Absolutely. answers. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, it's so it's summertime. Uh, and I, yet I know we still live in a difficult time of, of social distancing and whatnot, but do get outside, try to enjoy the sunshine, uh, try to, you know, uh, enjoy your, your summertime as much as you can. Um, and if you can't get outside, then get online, play D and D with friends. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's the perfect time to start playing D and D online with the Avray Discord bot and D oh, yeah. and whatnot. So we're working on getting becoming better Avray bot players, and I mm. think once we uh, once we get a few more games under our belt with that, we'll do a podcast that explains a little bit of what we've learned. Um, I'll have a game with starting with it next week, and. Um, I will report back on how that goes. Lots to stay tuned for in the coming weeks, in the coming months. Exciting stuff happening over on our end, maybe. Yeah. And and enjoy, uh, enjoy D&D Live. Check into that. Drop some money uh, for a good cause. Um, and...